know each person and what they're going through, and we pray that you would minister to their needs. And um, we pray for um, Brother Dave's cousin Larry. Pray, Lord, if it's your will, that you'd move in his life and and uh, reveal yourself to him. Lord, uh, uh, we just pray that uh, you'd be glorified and magnified in, in all that uh, is said and done today during the preaching of your word. And and uh, we just just lift up everything to you, our lives the service here. Um, Lord, may your word go forth with power. And may you be glorified. And may you be magnified. And, and um, we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we'll be looking at the doctrines of grace, part two. Part two. Last week, we opened the... Series, I like to call it the series on the foundation of the faith because really the tulip is somewhat foundational and it is foundational in what we believe. It's also commonly called the doctrines of grace. Um, five points of Calvinism, the doctrines of grace. I like to call it doctrines of grace because it encompasses much more than just five points. But we're going to look at the five points each week as we go here. And these doctrines, beloved, these doctrines, they're as vast as an ocean. They really are. There's, no, there's so much depth to them and so much. We're never plumb the, the full uh, enormity of what they are and what they, and what they cover. It's incredible. And, and these truths are presented from the Bible. And this is our final authority. This is our final authority. We don't follow Calvin. We follow what the Scripture says. And all he did was take systematic truths and bring them to a level where we could understand them. Truths that are contained in the Bible. And these precious truths, beloved, they exalt the sovereignty of God, and they humble the pride of man. And that's why men hate them. Because they bring us to a spot where God is almighty, and we're just in the dust. And these five points, which are, we believe as a church, are presented this way. Total depravity also known as total inability and original sin, unconditional election, where there's nothing in us, no reason in us why God chose us, except by his, his free grace, and that's what we're going to look at today. Limited atonement, also known as particular atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints, also known as once saved, always saved. So last week we looked at total depravity. We looked at total depravity, which showed us from the scripture that man lacked any ability on his own to come to Christ, to come to God. In these precious truths, as I say, they magnify God's mercy. They magnify God's mercy in Christ towards his people. How can anyone who is unable to come to God on his own be saved? How can anyone who is unable come to God on his own, be saved? Well, the answer is found in Mark chapter 10. It says, and they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Matthew 10, 26, and then verse 27, and Jesus, looking upon them, saith, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. All things are possible with God. So what is impossible for man is possible for God. Again, because of our fallen Adam, 
were born into this world sinners who are absolutely dead in trespasses and sins. We looked at that last week. We're just going to review that a little bit, the inability. We have no ability at all to come to God. Now, there's a doctrine out there called conditional election. Conditional election. We believe in unconditional election. But there's a doctrine in religion called conditional election, and it goes like this. God looked down through time, and he foresaw those who would choose him, and based his election upon who he saw would choose him. Now, I'm coming to realize as I read more and more books on, on the history of what, what the churches went through, it's the same lie promoted from a long, long time ago that we face today. Conditional election is not something new. It's something that, that the enemies of the gospel have been putting forth for years and years and years. So it's nothing new. It's nothing but works-based theology. Because think of it. It leaves man's salvation based upon that God looking down through time and seeing that they would, they would choose him. So basically, it's works. In a nutshell, it's works. It's based upon their choosing, man's choosing, and not God's choosing. And so weighed against Scripture, it's proven false, and we're going to see that today. God's foreknowledge is spoken of in connection with a people and not based upon any action which, which those people do. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, 29, and Amos chapter 3, verse 2. God's foreknowledge is not based upon something we do. It's not based upon something we say. It's not based upon our works at all. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God knew them in that he chose them to be his own. Look at Amos chapter 3, verse 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. You only, Amos chapter 3, verse 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. God knew them in that he chose them to be his own. And this is the same way he foreknows his elect. It's not based upon our actions, but it's based upon the good pleasure of God in Christ and his divine will. So today's study, we will look at the you in the acronym of the tulip. Unconditional election. Let us define what biblical election is. The work of God in eternity where God chose to save a people among all the fallen people of mankind. He chose these people, the elect, in Christ based upon nothing in themselves. Nothing in themselves. Think of this. What if there was no election? Someone 
came up to a preacher one time and said, you know, I just can't understand how you guys can say that God chose a people. And, and he said, well, what if there was no election? No one would be saved. No one. But praise be to God that he chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 13. And last week we ended our study on this text in Acts, which showed us that our election was before we had faith. Our election was before we had faith. It showed us that God had ordained those who would believe even before they believed. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 44 and going to verse 48. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it in from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles." For he hath, for so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. <laughs> oh, yeah, they were glad, eh? <laughs> they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And look at this. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. 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 Notice that it does not say as many as believed were ordained to eternal life. That's conditional election. No, it's unconditional. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. So this scripture alone destroys the false doctrine of conditional election right there. It absolutely destroys it. It absolutely destroys it. They believed because they were ordained to eternal life. God's election preceded their faith. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 10. Unconditional election. It's a marvelous, marvelous truth. John chapter 10, starting in verse 26, look at this. This is a chilling verse here. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. You wonder why folks don't believe? And doesn't it make you grateful that you're one of his sheep? But you believe not because you are not my sheep. I say unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Oh, he knows us intimately. He he knows us intimately. We're engraved in the palms of his hands, beloved. And he's known us and loved us before the foundation of the world. I know them, and they follow me. It's not a maybe. They will. And I give unto them eternal life. You can't lose it. It's eternal. It's in him. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Oh, beloved, God knows who his sheep are, and he knows who, who, are, who are not his sheep. And notice, they did not believe because they were not God's sheep. We are given the gift of faith 
It's a gift of God. And we are given that to believe on Christ. Why? Because we're his sheep. We're his sheep. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 27 said in John there, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This is marvelous grace. God chose a people in eternity past in Christ based upon nothing we do and simply because it pleased him to do it. It pleased him. We look at it, we're going to look later on, we, we say, why me, right? <laughs> but because but it pleased him. Look at Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. Who hath blessed us. Oh, God's people are blessed. With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And here's the key word. The key words, in Christ. Nowhere else. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of of children by Jesus Christ to himself, look at this, according to the good pleasure of his will. That that takes us right out of the equation, doesn't it? We're his sheep because it's according to the good pleasure of his will. Marvelous. And this is not just anyone's will. This is the will of God. The eternal God. That's why we cry, the, the eternal God is my refuge. He's my refuge. He's my strength. So our election in Christ was not based upon any foreseen decision or any foreseen prayer or any foreseen us coming to Christ. It was just according to the pleasure, the good pleasure of his will. It's marvelous. According to the good pleasure of his will. So we could ask the question, what is the election of God based upon? We have the answer in the latter part of that verse, don't we? What is the election of God, God's people based upon, according to the good pleasure of his will? Our salvation, beloved, think of this. Our salvation is based upon the sovereign will of God. The sovereign will of an eternal God. The eternal God who rules and reigns in heaven above. Our election flows from the grace and mercy of God towards us in Christ, and it is all according to the, to the pleasure of his will. And we are not worthy of this grace, are we? Not at all. In this mercy, but beloved, Jeremiah says this, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn. Jeremiah 31, 3. We are not worthy of this grace and mercy, but he loves his people with an everlasting love. And the elect were given again by the Father to Christ in eternity. In eternity. Now, will all the elect come to Christ? Absolutely. Every one of them. Every one of them. And here, not lose one of them. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 6. He will not lose one of the sheep that are given to him by God the Father. Not one. And this gives us hope when we preach the gospel, right? And when we proclaim the gospel. We preach and proclaim and God does the saving. He does the saving. It's all according to to his mercy and grace. 
in these verses here will show us our choosing and our perseverance in Christ. Look at John six thirty seven to 40. All that the Father giveth me. Now we looked and saw in Ephesians 1, right? That was an eternity past. God's sheep, his elect, were given to Christ in eternity past. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. They will. That's why Brother Henry Mann used to say, we're on the trail of God's sheep. And we are when we preach the gospel. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. There's eternal, there's eternal security. <laughs> For I am come down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which has sent me. Folks are always trying to figure out the will of God. Well, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. So we see the choosing, all that the Father giveth me, verse 37, and look at the perseverance. I should lose nothing. Every single one of God's sheep shall be saved, and he will not lose one of them. Not one. Oh, that comforts my heart. So unconditional election is actually, contrary to what some folks say, is a very comforting doctrine. Very comforting doctrine. As our salvation in Christ is not based upon our works, but based upon him. Based upon Christ. Could you imagine if our election was based upon our works? That's a scary thought. We'd all be doomed. Because scripture tells us that there's none righteous, no, not one. That's what I often wonder with this whole conditional election. <laughs> it says God looked down through time and saw who would choose him, but the Bible says that none will choose him. There crumbles the powder right before our eyes, doesn't it? It's a false doctrine. It's a false doctrine. Left to ourselves, none of us would choose Christ. And we looked at that last week. Not one of us. Is if there was no election, no one would be saved. But praise be to God, he chose us in Christ. John fifteen sixteen says this. And also turn to Second Thessalonians chapter two if you could. John fifteen sixteen says this Ye have not chosen me. But I have chosen you and ordained you. Many as were ordained to eternal life that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And this shows us that our choosing, that, that his choosing us, his choosing his people is based upon his free and sovereign grace. You have not chosen me but I have chosen you. And we saw why we would never choose him last week. We saw that. What blessed people God's elect are. Psalm 65, 4 says this, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causes to approach unto thee. Causes to approach unto thee. And he may dwell in thy courts 
we shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house. And again, in 2 Thessalonians, where I had you turn, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning, there it is, chosen in eternity. Chosen in eternity. God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel. Remember the gospel bearing fruit? We saw that Wednesday night. To the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're chosen in Christ. We're given, we're given to Christ by the Father. We're chosen in Christ. Christ redeems us. And we're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity again in action. And the elect of God believe because they were chosen of God. They believe because they were chosen of God. Before the foundation of the world. Turn, if you would, to Romans 9.11. And it's based upon nothing that we do. So our, the election we have in Christ, we believe, is unconditional election. And here's a good verse to demonstrate that. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 11. Actually, I'll read verse 10 too. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by the father, our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. But look at that. Neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Now folks often get all tangled up and say, how can you say that that God hated Esau. My wonder is, how could God love Jacob? How could he love me? Knowing who I am and what I was. And what today I still struggle with sin all the time. But yet scripture says, he loves us with an everlasting love. And that verse plainly, plainly states that it's not based upon anything that they've done. Not of works. Think of this. When those two were born, they were both born dead in trespasses and sins. But God's love was set upon one. It was set upon one. And notice it is of him that calleth. This ties right in with the scripture we just looked at in Second Thessalonians too. Verse 14, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God had chosen, chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And we'll look at the calling in a few weeks. And as I say, people say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair that, that, that Jacob, 
Jacob loved, uh, or that Jacob was loved and Esau wasn't. Well, natural man doesn't think it's fair, but let me tell you, we don't want fair. We don't want fair. Look at Romans 9, 15 and 16. So the question comes up, is there unrighteousness with God? Paul declares, uh, God forbid, right? Look at Romans 9.14. What shall we then say? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. And that's the natural question of natural man. But that's not fair. That's just like saying that's not fair. Well, look at verse 15 and 16. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Who are those here have mercy upon? Those chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Those who are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And think of this too, as people get, people get all upset about election. All right? Did God not choose Israel? Did he not choose some angels to not fall? Did he not choose Noah and his family to, to go in here? See, they don't get upset about that. But when it touches you personally... That's when folks get upset. They're, they're condoning all that. Look at this. It, this just destroys works. For he saith to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Here's the heart of the matter right there. God will have mercy upon whomever he pleases. Whomever he pleases. Verse 16 absolutely destroys works-based religion because it gives all the glory to God. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. It just destroys, it just levels works-based religion. Remember, in the Old Testament, he's the same God today, yesterday, and forever, right? He's a choosing God. He chose Israel, which is a picture of the church and passed by a whole bunch of other nations. Why? Because his love was set upon them. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 7. This will be the last portion of Scripture we'll look at. Why did he love Israel? Why does he love his people? Why does he love his people? Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 9, we'll read. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And we know this could apply to God. this applies to God's elect too, doesn't it? Definitely. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because ye were more in number than any other people than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord bought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. But look at verse 8. Because the Lord loved you. 
because the Lord loved you. Sometimes we wonder why. Why the Lord saved us, don't we? Sometimes we wonder that. Why me? Because the Lord loved you. Hmm. What comfort for our hearts. The eternal God loves his people with an everlasting eternal love in Christ. And may we think on this, this precious truth of the eternal, immutable, goodwill of God towards us in unconditional election. That he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world based upon absolutely nothing in us and according to the good pleasure of his will. And let us also remember this, that in Christ, in Christ we are safe. We have a refuge that cannot be moved or altered by any storms of this world or by any assaults of Satan or by any weakness of the flesh. We are chosen in Christ and kept. In Christ. So our confidence of salvation is rooted in Christ. It's rooted in Christ. And we rest on the promises of the gospel. We, we, just, we just rest in him. And we say, praise, praise him. Praise his mighty name for what he's done. He's done great things. <laughs> he's done great things. Next week we'll look at limited atonement which means that Christ died for his sheep and that he did not fail. And a little, little primer for that. Think on this. When all those sacrifices were done in Israel, they weren't for any other nation except Israel.